the words to that bridge say that my whole life is yours. I give it all. This morning we are about to celebrate and to dedicate a life in that same purpose that the life lived would be lived for Christ. Chaz and Nikki are here with Adele and a whole lot of friends. And what I would like to do is to ask um, to ask you to come up with Adele and family, whichever you guys consider yourself. Just bring everybody up. If you're a family or a friend, I know it'll be crowded. That's okay. Just come on up here and turn around and face everybody else, and I'll kind of trade places. Well, God's good, huh? (laughs) Every parent wants the best for their child. In fact, it's the reason that all of you are standing here today. The very best that you can hope for your child is a, a life lived for the glory of God. And in this moment that Chaz and Nikki bring Adele They bring her back to the feet of Jesus. And I say back because he is the one that created her and fashioned her together and gave her as a gift to mom and dad. In Psalm 127, it says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. In Psalm 139, it says this, It says, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Right? If you've been on Facebook at all, you would know how fearfully and wonderfully made she is and get plenty of pictures of that. Since my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book, even before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand, the very thoughts and love that God has for us outnumber the grains of sand. It's just countless. His love, his thoughts for you, little Adele. So I believe baby dedication is a moment for these parents to stand before the Lord and his church and to ask for the blessings in favor of God upon their child's life. It's also a moment in which they give their greatest gift back to God. In other words, they're willing for the Lord to have his full and rightful place in the life of their child. 
They're acknowledging that they wish to raise their child in such a way that she would live a life in honor of the one who created her. And it only makes sense. A true life of joy, peace, and prosperity can only be found in a relationship with the God who created life to begin with. But I believe we all know that this task is not an easy one, right? Yeah, amen. How we raise our children to know and to follow the Lord is clearly illustrated in Deuteronomy. And you've heard this before, I'm sure it says, Hear, O, hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons and daughters. And she'll talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. The words he is referring to here, of course, is is the word of God. Essentially, scripture, all that the Lord has given us is intended for us to pass down to our children. We live it. We talk about it all the time in the morning and at night while we're going about our daily tasks, and everything that we do. And so we've brought a very practical tool today to help you to accomplish that task, okay? In this book are all the key stories that you will find in Scripture presented in such a way that a child can understand. May you read this together and talk about them always. Some of you may have had a a little Bible from when you were dedicated or christened. It's a little tiny book, King James. I don't think Adele is going to be good at King James for a while, so it's always our goal as a church to try to provide something right off the bat to help them to know the stories of what the Lord has done. So I'm going to give this to y'all. I think you're the only one with a hand free here. She's already grabbing for it. This is a great sign. You know, when they were teaching children... When they are first introduced to the Word of God, what they would literally do, the, the, the Word of, it says, taste and see. There's a verse of Scripture that says, wow, you're making my point, Adele. There's a Word of Scripture that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. And what they would literally do is there would be a scroll from, from the Word of God, and there would be honey on it, and they would encourage a child to lick the honey off of the Word of God. And so Adele is way ahead of the, of the curve here. <laughs> in Proverbs 22.6, it says this, Train up a child in the way they should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. And they may stray at times, but they will eventually come home. So before we pray and dedicate Adele to the Lord, what I want to do is I need to ask you parents a couple of questions and simply want you to respond much like you did when we performed a wedding ceremony together and to say we do okay all right so do you commit to be parents of personal faith recognizing Adele is more likely to follow God's path by the model that they first observe in you 
Do you commit to lead a faith-filled home that honors God in all your relationships and in the choices that you make spiritually growing your family? Do you commit to be parents with patience? Uh Uh-oh, there's a big one. With patience. We talked about that just recently. Recognizing that with your inherent strengths and weaknesses, your desire to shape your child is a loving act that will require time, prayer, and God in order to produce in Adele what he and you hope for. Awesome. So we also, as a church, turn a little bit towards you guys here, Pledge to have leaders of strong personal faith and to provide a safe place. And that's key for what we're talking about today, a safe place where a child can be encouraged to grow strong in the ways of the Lord with a faith of their own. We will always encourage the church as a whole to be a people who live real lives of faith as we strive to create a place of love and grace for all in the power of the Holy Spirit. So church, speaking to the rest of us here, okay, if you agree with what I just said, would you stand? Let's pray together for this family, shall we? Lord Jesus, we stand here today surrounding this precious child, Adele, where we thank you for the gift that she is, not only to Nikki, Chaz, and the family, but to all of us. And so, Lord, today, as, as we stand surrounding her, Lord, we just, we give her back to you, and Lord, we pray that you would just bless her life, Lord, that she would live a life that in every moment honors you, and Lord, that even if there are moments, Lord, where she temporarily strays away, Lord, we pray that she always circles back and comes to you. Lord, you are the one that has given her life, and you are the one, Lord, that will bless her life. And we just ask, Lord, that you just continue to keep her strong. Continue, Lord, to keep her eyes focused on you. Lord, I pray for Chaz and Nikki and, and the help of family and friends, Lord, to guide her, Lord, and to help her to be stronger in knowing who you are, knowing your ways, and walking in your ways. Lord, because in you is true life. So, Lord, we just thank you for this precious gift. Lord, we know the plans that you have for Adele. Lord, plans, as you say in your word, to prosper her, to give her a hope, and to give her a future. Lord, one that's blessed in you. So, Lord, we thank you for her this morning. We thank you, Lord, for her life and all that's yet to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. How about a round of applause here, huh? All right. Awesome. Love you guys. Girl.
Have a seat, have a seat. When I gave my life to the Lord, I was a stripper, and I um, made a decision to completely change my life. I had no idea where to go to church, what to do, how to dress, and one day I was sitting out at a coffee shop, and some girls were walking around, and they were telling everybody about their church. Well, I was so excited. I thought, this is going to be it. This is going to tell me where I can go. Maybe they'll be my friends, and instead, um, they took one look at me, and the way I was dressed and how I looked and gave me a dirty look and passed me over. I was going into fourth grade um, and that summer my parents sat me down and told me that uh, they were getting a divorce and uh, I remember being blown away by that and then uh, on top of that we showed up at church over the next few weeks and I just remember feeling this this difference there that we weren't <laughs> supposed to be there. Like, you know, we had divorce slapped around uh, our chest. And for me, it, it made me feel like there was something wrong with me. I trusted Christ when I was in high school. Um, decided to go to Bible college so I could figure out uh, some of the answers to my questions as far as the Bible and God and making that work practically. During my senior year, I really felt like instead of getting answers and getting help with some of my questions, I got rejected uh, in so much as even the college president uh, calling me out in one of the classes and basically saying, if you just, you know, if you, you still have questions this late in the game, you just don't get it. I grew up in a church for 20 years, and when I went to college, I made a few mistakes and got pregnant out of wedlock. I knew there would be trouble, I knew there would be gossip but I never expected a phone call from the pastor asking me to resign my membership. Well, for the first time in my life, I was really coming back to God. I was trying to, to really reconnect with Him, and my life was a mess. I was going through a divorce. I was in debt. I didn't have any friends. and So I actually wrote a letter to a friend of mine that I knew from high school. I knew that she was a pretty strong Christian, and um, I thought maybe we could start up a friendship. So I sent her a letter, and a couple weeks later, I, I got a package back in the mail. and. I opened it up and there was no letter, it was just a pamphlet on why divorce is a sin. Well, I struggled with uh, same-sex attraction all my life and uh, being a Christian and brought up in a Christian home, Christian school, I had difficulties dealing with it and uh, went to my pastor because I knew there was some kind of issue with me and I had some problems and instead of receiving uh, spiritual guidance, I received, uh, you know, hatred and I was condemned, and uh, I was asked to leave the church. There came a point in my marriage where things got really rocky. I made a decision to trust the people at the church and start telling them about what was happening, um, and I expected them to, to try and understand. I expected them to help to accept us broken like we were, but instead they judged us, they judged me, they blamed me. It was definitely not okay to not be okay. I was five years old. I was going to Sunday school, and I seen a statue of Jesus, and I knew my grandmother would really like it, so I took it from the church and gave it to my grandmother. The next Sunday, whenever I went back to church, the preacher took me aside and told me I was going to go to hell for stealing. And uh, it really scared me, and that really turned me off, and I asked my mom if I had to go to church anymore, and she said not if I didn't want to, so I stayed away from church for 31 years. And 
I pretty much went to hell for the next 31 years. It made me feel rejected. I was totally crushed. To this day, it affects my family. What good did that do anybody? God forgave me, but the church couldn't. I wish you would have treated me like a brother instead of a piece of garbage. We need to be examples and not tell people what they have to do and what they should do, but just show them what we do. Easter is right around the corner. And this Easter will be our church's birthday, a third anniversary of Real Life Church. So let's, yeah, let's, let's give a, God's good. <laughs> and as I was thinking about that and praying, you know, Lord, what's next? We just did a series on love. Where, where do we need to go? And what I felt called to do was for us to circle back to the principles that God has given us and collected us together as a church to maintain. The reason that we're called real life, there's a reason behind that. The church that we are, the church that we're called to be, God has given us certain principles, we believe, that come from Scripture for us to be the church that we are, to be a place that, that is real, a place where we can serve the Lord, worship the Lord, be ourselves, warts and all, praying that, as the phrase goes, that God loves us just the way we are, but he also promises not to leave us that way. <laughs> Boys thought that was a great thing. He loves us just the way we are, but he promises not to leave us that way. And so it's important for us as a church to go back and to be reminded of some of the things that God has called us to be, to talk about our vision to talk about our purpose, and to talk about some specific principles that he's given us that make us unique. What I want to talk about today is this very aspect of being a safe place. Because as you've seen in the video, and many of you can attest from some of your own experiences, that church, unfortunately, is not always a very safe place to be. It's not always a place that you feel comfortable that you can be yourself where you are at the moment and come in and hear the word of God and learn and be close to him. Instead, we, we fear what people think of us as we walk in the doors for, from what we're going through, what our issue, issues are. As one of the ladies said in there, that it's not okay to be, uh, to not, be not okay in church, you know, to come in with all your messes and your warts and the stuff that you're working on and, and all the, the issues of our lives. But church should be a safe place. It should be similar to a hospital, for example, that when you walk in the door with a bloodied and a broken arm, that people don't turn up their nose and say, well, geez, look at that. You're there for a reason. You're there because your arm is broken, because you're losing blood, because there are issues there. No one shuns someone that walks into the emergency room with those kinds of issues. The church should be a hospital, it should be a safe place, a place of healing and a place of safety. And I've been in many unsafe places over the years. We, um, we're a non-denominational church, but my background is as a Southern Baptist. I'm an ordained Southern Baptist preacher. And I've been in a lot of Southern Baptist churches. I've been in um, I've been in United Methodist churches, Presbyterians. I'm kind of Heinz 57. I've been all over the place. 
So I've been able to see some different things. But I've been in some unplaced, unsafe churches. One of the churches that I was in, for example, there was a, a teenager that I'd shared Jesus with, and this teenager wanted to give their life to Jesus and follow him, but he was, he was a, of mixed race. And so the church did not allow me to baptize him in the baptistry. That kind of place. In another church that I was at, a pastor in particular was doing things, calling people to, to follow the word of God. And he was not afraid to speak what he needed to speak. He was a loving pastor, but he shared the truth. And in the midst of that, some of the people in the church did not like that, <laughs> did not like to be called out in some ways. And uh, I remember one day in particular that our pastor had received a letter in the mail saying that, that people were going to come by his house and tar and feather him. This is a, in a very southern small town, I'll just put it that way. And so this was his first church he had ever been at, and he was not one to back down. And he actually came up one day in the front of the church because he didn't know who it came from. It was anonymous and read the letter publicly in the service. And basically it was, you know, to say essentially that this was not appropriate. And people literally, these guys stood up in the middle of the congregation and just began to shout at him. That kind of stuff is like, well, does this really happen in churches? We have... Many, we've been in many situations where some of you this morning, unfortunately, were thinking about, if, I, if you've never been with us before, well, do I have to wear a certain level of clothing to come to church? Do I have to, you know, to wear a suit and a tie? Do I have to, you know, those different kinds of things? I, uh, I was kind of laughing to myself because I hadn't thought about it because we enjoy such freedom, thinking about you coming in with a cup of coffee, trying to drink it up real quick and throw it away. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You can bring that in here. It's okay. As you can see, I've got my own right here. Those kinds of things. Being in churches where um, I've been in youth ministry for years where I couldn't bring our guitar in the front of the service. It could only be a piano, only be an organ. It could only be those kinds of things where every other sermon was literally about, about not drinking alcohol or not smoking or, you know, and, and just so many things that are pulled away from what the Bible actually teaches where it can be very uncomfortable to set foot in a church. And certainly very uncomfortable to invite some of the friends that might be just like that people that were on the screen. So considering those experience that I, experiences that I've had, and probably some that you've had, what kind of church ought we to be? And one of the things that the Lord called us to be was a church that is a safe place. A church that is a place of grace, a place of love that people can walk in the doors and be safe and hear the word of God to be loved again, just the way you are, but not left that way. That God is working and God is changing and that he's moving within us. You know, there are certain people, for example, because of those things that probably wouldn't set foot in a church. One guy in particular had a bad experience and he hadn't been to church in 30 years, since he was a kid. That should never happen. So I got to, be, I got to thinking about some stories in Scripture that, that were similar in some way. What are some of the people that, were, that would have been 
in the culture that never would have set foot in the door of a church. They never would have gone to, to the synagogue, if you will, to hear Jesus as he, was, as he was preaching. They wouldn't have wanted to be around those religious folks for fear of the things that they were struggling with and things that they were dealing with. And how did Jesus handle those circumstances? The biggest one that, that comes to my mind is, is, is the adulterous, story of the adulterous woman. In John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, we read this story about this woman who certainly would have been on the list of someone that wouldn't have caught themselves bothering to walk in to the church doors. And the story goes, it says that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. I think one of the things that I'd never... Sometimes we read Scripture too fast and we miss some things, but one of the things I just realized as I was going over this again was Jesus, where this story takes place, is at the temple. In my mind, I kind of picture this like dusty road kind of off, off to the side somewhere where these people have gathered around this woman, but this is literally taking place at the temple, at church. Jesus is coming to teach again, says this, so he came again into the temple. And all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. Jesus is basically kicking off church, if you will, to use our modern metaphors, getting ready to to preach a sermon, and then all of a sudden this takes place. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, in some version it says caught in the very act of adultery, And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery. There it is, okay. In the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. In the middle of church, can you imagine all of a sudden if You know, some of the deacons or elders, if you will, kind of just drug this woman and brought her right here in the center. But it's been one of those moments similar to what I had mentioned to you where the guys are standing up in the church getting ready to shout down the pastor. Complete disruption. Complete opposite of everything that Jesus stands for. These guys come and just drag this woman right in the middle of God and everybody. Right in the middle. It says, and they were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. Where was their heart to begin with, right? It was about accusing. It was about what that video was all about. It was about judgment. They had an issue with this woman, and not only did they have a private issue with her, but they were making it public, and they were going to shame her, and they were going to bring her up in front of everybody. And Jesus, what do you have to say about this. And if you don't know Jesus very well, if you hadn't read Scripture, if you don't understand what what church is supposed to be like, then you think that Jesus obviously is going to be like one of those guys holding road signs, right? Holding, Holding signs, standing by the road saying, you know, you're going to hell, or, you know, those kinds of things. If you've never been in church, you hadn't been around, you don't know what Jesus's heart is really about. But it says, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger, wrote on the ground. That's really kind of interesting. A lot of people debate. There's no way to answer these questions. What, was he writing 
the names of the sins of, of the other religious people that were there? Or was he just simply taking his time and letting the situation play out? I don't know. But he stoops down and he writes in the ground. It says, but when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Just one sentence, one simple sentence, he who is without sin, you go, you go ahead and throw the first stone. Who will it be? And he just goes back and begins to continue to write on the ground. Can you imagine what must have taken place there? How quiet was it and for how long? Because this is, to use modern terms, Jesus is kind of dropping the mic kind of moment. He just lets things happen. Because at that point, then you have the situation where these guys are wrestling in the first and the inside thinking, okay, well, what kind of sin is there in my life? They had been so outward focused, holding that stone and ready to throw it, that they weren't thinking about their own issues, their own problems that they were struggling with. So again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, it says, and when they heard it, they began to go out, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. As you think through this story, you can imagine just one by one hearing those stones just just drop. And these guys walk away. And Jesus is left with this woman in the center of the court, in the middle of church. You wonder what, what, what about the rest of the people that were there that Jesus was teaching? You know, imagine the expressions, what people were thinking there. This is a great opportunity for people to see what is this Jesus really all about here? What's he going to do with this? And so these religious leaders, these Pharisees, they drop their stones and they walk away, leaving Jesus and this woman in the center of the court all alone. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. Can you imagine how she must have felt? No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. And from now on, sin no more. See, you see the grace of Christ here? And you see the balance of it as well. You see that phrase that I mentioned earlier played out that says that Jesus loves us just the way we are, but he promises not to leave us that way. There are things in our life that we have all done wrong, things that we do wrong, but we come to church, we come to a safe place so that we meet with the Lord and we ask him to help us to work on those things, to chisel away, to pull away the things that don't belong. Because Jesus' point, his perspective is not to be one that judges. He did not come to be a judge. He did not come to be a judge. I think this passage is really interesting. I never 
caught this until the other day, and I don't have it on the screen, so listen closely. Jesus is speaking in John chapter 8, verse 15 through 16. Okay, so mentally write that down. Take a note there. You judge according to the flesh, Jesus says. But this is what Jesus says. I judge no one. Jesus said, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. You judge according to the flesh. These guys were ready to kill that woman. They saw what they saw on the outside. They did not see with the perspective of Jesus and the perspective of God. They were ready to stone her. They were ready to kill her. But Jesus says, I judge no one. Very interesting. Because when you read John 3.16, that's probably the number one verse that even if you don't have it memorized, you've heard before, you've seen people hold the signs in sporting events, right? We know this in John 3.16, for God to love the world, however, you know... <laughs> But the rest of it, in 17, says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You can tell that's the first verse ever memorized since it's in King James, right? But he did not come to condemn. He came to save. That's his perspective. The problem is, is that what's interesting in Scripture, it says in the same way that we judge, we are setting the bar for how we are to be judged as well. I'm going to read you just one more passage of Scripture and we'll be done. Time has gone quick today. In Matthew 7, it says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You guys all know my stories about getting upset driving and getting irritated with other people. (laughs) Just imagine the way when you judge people, the way you look at folks, the way that you say things at times when you get ticked off, and the words that you say, the veracity and the force that you just want to leap out, just tear into someone. Imagine that same thing being turned back on you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And it says something very interesting. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I kept reading that over and over again and thinking about the context of that particular verse. You've heard it before. Don't throw you your pearls before swine. Who is he really talking about there? Because in the context, he's talking about judging. People judging folks. And he's been talking to the Pharisees prior to this, if you read it in Scripture. And then he says, don't give dogs what's sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. I think he's really 
talking about as far as the dogs and the pigs. There's one people that Jesus did not care for in Scripture. It's the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were judgmental, hypocritical people. And what we find out here in the situation is don't give something sacred. Don't give something precious of value to judgmental people. And see, that's what's happened is many times in the past, people have come into church and they take this sacred and precious thing and they say, this is what I'm dealing with. This precious thing being your life. And this is, I need help with this. Those pearls, you know, to dig in deeper beyond the outside of just talking to, to someone about the weather, you know, getting into the in-depth aspects of your soul and saying, this is my struggle. This is my issue. These are my things. You don't give those things to judgmental people. Because what happens with that? Turn around and they trample them and they, they tear you to pieces. We ought to be a people that remember the grace of God on our own lives. That we share love and grace with others that in so doing that as a church, we are a safe place. The people can know that it's okay to come there. They're going to love you. They're still going to share the truth with you, but they're going to share it in love and in grace because they haven't forgot about the grace of God in their own lives. Another reason to take communion and to, and to remember what Jesus has done for us because oftentimes we remember it once and then we forget it. We forget what we used to be like or what we're continuing to struggle with now. May we be a safe place. Can you all stand with me this morning? I know we're super late and I'm sorry. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We are so grateful Lord, that you love us, that you have given us grace, that you have taken away our sin, that the old life is gone and the new life has come. We're thankful for the example of the story of, of this woman that was surrounded. But Lord, you stood with her and you loved her. Lord, help us to be people that, like Jesus, lift others up and put our rocks down. Lord Jesus, help us to be a church that's a safe place. Lord, that, that truly recognizes and, and lives out the aspect, Lord, that you love us the way we are, but you promise not to leave us that way. We're thankful for you. Lord, we thank you for Adele again this morning. And Lord, we just pray that you would just continue to bless her life. Lord, that you light her way. Lord, that she would honor you in everything. Lord, be with her family and friends. Lord, that they may always honor you. And Lord, that she finds in her family a safe place as well. A graceful and a loving family that is always pointing her to you. We thank you for this time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.